0: Countdown goes off manual and on automatic. Moves inevitably toward zero time. Three, two, one, zero. The most ridiculous statement I've ever heard is one that was attached to a splitter splitter political party. Peace and freedom, peace and freedom. You can have peace or you can have freedom, but you don't get both at once. Yes, I heard both the applause and the boos. The only way a man can be free is by an utter willingness to fight with the outright viciousness of one of Larry Niven's gazin. Gazitti. The only peace. That a man who won't fight ever gets is the piece of the grave. Hey,
1: Highliners! Like a Waldo picking straight into your brain? We grok you, man. We are here to talk about Starship Troopers. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, this is uh, uh, for our 21st episode of Highliners. So, uh, this is one we've been looking forward to for a long time. Finally. Uh, yeah, we're finally out of the juvenile, uh, novel period for, right. uh, Robert A. Heinlein.
2: And Although this on one's to the... pretty fucking juvenile.
3: And we're <laughs> on to the very serious, very, very serious <laughs> work of Heinlein that is Starship Troopers. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, uh, next uh, book episode, we'll have uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, and pretty soon we'll be doing Moons of the Mistress, so... And I'll
3: fucking kill
1: myself. <laughs> <laughs> but who are you, David? Uh, I'm David Egronoff, author of Vegan Revolution with Zombies and uh,
3: Punk Rock Ghost Story. And I'm Anthony Trevino, author of the horror comic, Fruition, and contributor to several pop culture outlets such as Clash and Tom Holland's Terror Time, and I am also an instructor in history and moral philosophy, <laughs> also known as how to be a pedantic fuck and blow smoke about how great the military is.
1: Ooh, this is going to be a fire episode. Right. Uh, and who else have we got here?
2: And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed.
1: Right. All right. So uh, our episode today is a story versus film for Robert A. Heinlein's classic of military science fiction, *Starship Troopers*.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh boy! All right. So um, let's talk about the story and publication history. Because we don't have any Heinlein news. The, guy, <laughs> yeah, the guy's really dead. Alright. I dead. mean, yeah. Yeah, he's real he's dead. super dead. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in 1941, uh, Robert Heinlein attempted to join the Navy but uh, because he was really psyched for World War II. Uh, which was actually not uncommon at the time because after Pearl Harbor, there was a lot of people that just really wanted to be a part of the war effort and fight against fascism, and which is really understandable because uh, Japan, imperialist Japan, pretty uh, scary prospect. And, and fuck Nazis. And fuck Nazis. So we understand why he wanted to do that. Uh, but um, his medical history and the like, various things like kept him um, out of serving in the navy again. Now he. Had been in the Navy previously in his life, so he had already done um, service in the Navy, which is important later. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> and i uh, shocked right now. So he was hired by the military during World War II to work in the Aeronautical Materials Laboratory at the Naval Factory in Philadelphia. Now this is very interesting to for those of you who don't know, I just recently read Astounding, which is the biography of John W. Campbell slash Robert A. Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, and like Alrod Hubbard. Alrod Hubbard had some really hilarious adventures during World War II because he tried to join the Navy and he like, fucked up a mission and did all this crazy stuff. You can read about it in Astounding. We're not doing the Hubbard cast. Um, and we never, never will.
3: will. <laughs> uh, I might. Well, just, just because I want to dive into that world and, and just kind of experience it. I mean, I already just got a two hundred and four page lesson in what I got to do to be a real fucking patriot. So, yeah, could be worse. Next, I could know how to you know fillet zenu <laughs> as best as possible.
2: Well, I just spent to like ten books learning what how to be a real
3: man. It's, it's true. It, how to be a real man? Serve your country, and um, <clears throat> just be an all-around moral character. Yeah. All right.
1: So, but let's talk about this naval factory because holy shit! I'm okay. Oh uh, no! 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 This is interesting <laughs> because Heinlein was the manager of the plant, and under then and certain people worked for him. Other people who could not get into the military but signed up, including Isaac Asimov and uh, L. Sprague. Uh, to camp, who was, they were both science fiction writers, and they worked for Heinlein there. And so there's all kinds of weird funny stories about, because Heinlein managed the plant, and they were doing like basically science, like early DARPA type stuff, like scientific research about designing weapons and all this stuff. So think about that. There were three really famous science fiction writers during World War II working in this weird factory in Philadelphia. Nice. And so there's all kinds of weird stories, including a time where um, Isaac Asimov started, uh, or signed a petition that a bunch of the Jewish workers wanted Yom Kippur off uh, in a factory, and Heinlein pulled Asimov <coughs> into the office and was like, you don't really believe in God. He <laughs> wow. yeah, was like, why did you sign this? You don't even believe in God. And then Asimov said, look, I don't mind working on Yom Kippur, but I'm still going to sign the petition, because I don't think that the people who are real Jews like should have to work on that day. But It was interesting because this was just like a really interesting time that like Heinlein was you know really wanted to be a part of the war effort um, yeah. but but wasn't. but so I think that kind of um, gives us a little bit of flavor background of where Heinlein was coming from on this. So when Heinlein wrote Starship Troopers, he had already started Stranger in a Strange Land, but he put aside. Strange Land and rode Starship Troopers. And his motivation came when uh, the president at the time, Dwight Eisenhower, made the decision to suspend nuclear tests. Um, and he, his wife, uh, had shown an ad in a local newspaper. Well, it not, not just nuclear, it wasn't just,
2: it wasn't all nuclear tests, it was nuclear tests in the air.
1: Okay, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it was it was part of, of of what was the motivation for it, and then he saw. A... Well, it totally was the motivation. But I mean, it's not like we just
2: gave up on nuclear nuclear testing or or making bigger bombs or anything,
1: right? So he saw his wife showed him an ad that was in a newspaper by the National Committee for Sane Nuclear Policy on April fifth, nineteen fifty eight, calling for the suspension unilateral suspension of nuclear weapons testing. And this is the thing that originally inspired Heinlein to write *Starship Troopers*. Um, and um, since uh, you read a lot of our quotes, Larry, can you uh, read that quote that he has? The I am convinced.
2: I am convinced in my own mind that the United States is washed up, and we will cease to exist inside of five to fifteen years unless we quickly and drastically pull up our socks both at home and in foreign policy. This opinion has been growing in my mind for years. I was simply triggered into doing something about it by this pac- pacifistic, internationalist, come clandestine, communist drive to have us treat atomics and disarmament in exactly the fashion the Kremlin has tried to get us to do for the past 12 years.
3: Yeah, and so so basically he was like, I'm tired of this bunch of goddamn <laughs> liberal fucking hippie pussies.
1: And yep. this was in You're a pacifistic bullshit. Yeah, this was in a letter to his agent Lurton Blassing <laughs> Game.
3: That sounds like a Philip K. Dick character. It does. Shout
2: out to Lurton Blassing
1: Game.
3: Yeah, shout out to Lurton. I'm going to name my... How many times time have we had to shout out to
1: Lurton in this uh, podcast? A lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. A, lot. a lot of letters to Lurton. Letters to Lurton. It's I'll funny how, tw- 20 episodes in, we're still laughing about Lurton Blazing Game.
0: Well, but,
3: I
1: mean, I did name my <laughs> new dog Lurton. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we definitely owe Lurton for this podcast. It's a great, it's a great name. Come on. Yeah. All right, anyway, let's get through more of this garbage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have another quote uh, where uh, from that same letter.
2: It is an adult novel about an eighteen-year-old boy.
0: Hmm. I, <laughs> I have
2: followed my own theory that intelligent youngsters are in fact more interested in weighty matters than their parents usually are.
1: I think that was him just trying to sell that. Like, his his market was juveniles, and he wrote yeah.
2: this book. Yeah. This one wasn't going to appear in Boy's Life, I think, is what he was saying. Yeah.
1: Uh, the story was first published as a two-part serial in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction as Starship Soldier. was the original title. I think Starship Troopers is a better title. Yeah.
3: Uh, Starship Soldier sounds like a really bad early Marvel character. Starship (laughs) Soldier. What's that on the horizon, Mick? (laughs) I don't know, Tony. It's the Starship Starship Soldier. Soldier. Oh, my God. All right. Anyways, it was published
1: by G.P. Putnam's Sons in December of 1959. Just in time for Christmas. Um, (laughs) Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, and it was originally submitted as a juvenile novel for Scribner, who published most of Heinlein's stuff, and he had a a lot of YA books with Scribner. Um, but the manuscript was rejected and Heinlein, uh, that was the end of Heinlein's association with the publisher, and really his, uh, last uh, attempt at writing juvenile novels. And he went to, um, and a lot of people think that uh, Scripture's rejection was based on the ideological objections, basically, to all the same ones you're going to hear coming out like venom from the guy on the left of me <laughs> throughout here. And, and look, I don't think any, none of us. Hey, man,
3: I didn't want to read a book that spent 204 fucking pages telling me, join the military. It's great. you one. Well, look, and what. Yeah, I don't think
1: any of us were, like, super into the jingoistic nationalism of of, of, um, Starship. Not his, no. No. Um, But, uh, and we have another quote there. Um, Larry? Oh, yeah, what, me?
3: Yeah.
1: I must pause to brush off those
2: parlor pacifists I mentioned earlier. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: For they contend that their actions are on this highest moral level. They want to put a stop to war. They say so. Their purpose is to save the human race from killing itself off. They say that, too. Anyone who disagrees with them must be a bloodthirsty scoundrel, and they'll tell you that to your face.
1: Yeah, that's another quote. Um, This one, that one, yeah, there's, there's more there. And this comes from a speech he gave to... A brigade of midshipmen at the U.S. Naval
0: Academy in 1973. I won't.
1: Waste, waste. (laughs) Time. (laughs) Trying
2: to judge their motives. My criticism is of their mental processes. Their heads aren't screwed on tight. They live in a world of fantasy. Let me stipulate that if the human race managed its affairs sensibly, we could do without war.
1: Yes. And if pigs had wings, they could fly. (laughs) Wow, Heinlein. Tell us what you really think about pacifists. Right. (laughs) Um, So it should not come as a surprise that Starship Troopers is the way that it is. Yeah. Considering the way Heinlein... Full-on warmonger. Yeah. Nonetheless, um, the book was awarded the 1960 Hugo Award for Best Novel. Interestingly, it was not the only military sci-fi novel on the ballot that year. Dorsai, D-O-R-S-A-I, hmm. by Gordon R. Dickinson. Was also Dixon. Dixon. <laughs> Dixon. Sorry. Dixon. Um, you, as you you all are familiar with him as the guy on the shelf where you wish there were a bunch of PKD books when you <laughs> look, But there, instead, there's three books of Gordon R. Dickinson. Dixon books.
2: He's not um, that. He, I mean, I've read some Dixon. It's not bad.
1: Yeah, I am planning to. After I saw that this book was nominated with military sci-fi, I put a hold on it at the library and will check it out at some point. So, um, so yeah, there's um, there's that's the uh, publishing history of the uh, Starship Troopers.
2: Basically, Heinlein was pissed off and wrote a book. With a bunch of speeches in it because he thought hippies were bad. Because,
1: man. (laughs) Right, and this was pre hippies. I mean, he was pissed before the hippies even existed. Yeah. So, well, this is the part of the show where Anthony does the The story story breakdown.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. How you gonna do, Anthony? Oh, I don't know. Here it comes.
3: (laughs) So this we always look (laughs) to Anthony. So so this book part of the show. This book fucking opens with some war with some war going on. There's a bunch of assholes in mech suits jumping around on hopping on their big zero G boots. (laughs) As I mean. Bugs? (laughs) Are they fighting bugs? In the beginning? No, they're they're just blowing shit up. (laughs) Blowing shit up. They're hopping from house to house, and (laughs) and we are introduced to. Rico, who is the One. main character. And does he have a last name? He probably does, and I just he's, did. He's Rico. He's that is his last name. Uh, okay, that shows you how much I gave a shit about this character. His
2: name is Juan, actually. Juan, Juan. Rico. Juan Rico. Juan anyway, Rico. so we're he's
3: following in the- Juan Rico bouncing around on his zero-G boots like he's in fucking Jupiter ascending. Um, <laughs> just as shit's exploding, it's a bunch of action wanking, some people die, and... <laughs> In the...
2: Action wanking. I want to do that. <laughs>
3: and after this chapter ends, we do a, a flashback to when uh, Johnny Rico and his buddy are deciding, you know what, maybe we should join the service. We're young, we're agile, but really, I kind of want to join because this chick I have the hots for that we, I have the hots for in high school joins, and that's what's the deciding factor of why I'm going to join. That felt like the only authentic thing to me in this book. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so Rico joins the military, and I don't know how you guys are going to feel about the way I'm doing this, but, listen, this is Johnny Rico, this is Starship Troopers, colon, Johnny Rico goes to boot camp, I have to read about all of his experiences in boot camp. He goes, he signs up, he goes to fucking boot camp, his parents are like, hey, I didn't fucking ask you to go to boot camp, his dad's super pissed off about it, his mom disowns him, they're like, we're not talking to you. Because you, you left and joined the military, and we asked you not to. It turns out, later on, we find out that his dad um, was just jealous that his son went to boot camp. And he, which is a really funny theme about this book is, I'm just bad that you could. You were more of a man than I was, son.
0: That's but bullshit. more on
3: that later, because Johnny Rico's mom... looks like Carl Ellison in the movies here. <laughs> <laughs> but more on that later, because um, while Johnny Rico's in boot camp, or I don't know, dicking around fucking hopping on some zero G boots. I don't know what they do in the in the roughnecks. That was a full meth suit. It's not just boots. Oh well, no, it's space marines. Yeah, space marines. Yeah. I know what it is. Sit the fuck down, David. <laughs> Man, you always do that to me during the story. Breakdown. <laughs> um anyway, we, we we go we follow Johnny Rico through boot camp. He watches he watches a dude get his ass whipped you know, basically publicly flogged because he punched a a superior officer who gives a shit. There's a bunch of, like, philosophical wanking that Heinlein does in all these chapters about, hmm, when you're going against what it means to be a man of your country, you can only deserve to be beaten. Johnny Rico takes a bunch of classes in um, history and moral philosophy. Those
2: are exciting. Yeah, oh, oh, they're so
3: exciting. I, I was riveted. I literally, it's taken me months to finish this book because I read two pages and go, I don't need this. So, his mom sends him a letter. Hey, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Later on, she gets fucking blasted away because they go to Buenos Aires and um, gets attacked. Dad stays behind. Mom goes to Buenos Aires. Aliens attack it. It shit blows up. She's dead, right? Um, We get more training. Rico graduates. And this is when we decide to talk more about the bugs, which are basically just arachnid aliens. Am I wrong, communists? Communist. Um, I love to kill bugs. <laughs> they fight some bugs. They fight aliens. Um, more uh, communist yeah, bugs, yeah, guys. I'm yeah. Basically, I am not kidding. There are so many fucking chapters in this book where it's just. I'm a teacher. I'm teaching you your moral philosophy and what it means to be a a, a fucking space marine, and to yep. die for your country. It's just pages speech of, this, and... of speech and, and monologuing. It's like a weird alternate universe Aaron Sorkin that I don't like. <laughs> well, now we know why, right? We know exactly why now, because we talked about it. Uh, Rico becomes a fucking officer uh, in, you know, the, 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 there's some some boring shit there. <laughs> anyway... Well, finally, in the third act of the book, uh, Rico and some other, and this is honestly where the book starts for me, is Rico and a couple other guys get assigned to be, uh, what are they, I believe they're lieutenants. They're like, they're temp, they get assigned to a higher ranking temporarily. Because a bunch of people kind be- of Because a bunch of people him. done got killed. Yeah. And um, they get sent out because they're doing whatever they got to. Capture all the bugs, and then they capture the bugs. We gotta get the queen. Yeah, man. Whatever. <laughs> and so they get the, they get the queen. Rico graduates fucking Yay! space marine college. His dad serves with him because i no, under him. I, yeah, that's what I meant. He serves with him, but he's under him. Um, and what I didn't mention is that at some point Rico and his dad reconnect, and he's like, "Oh, son, I joined up after you joined up." It's really fucking pathetic that the dad decided after all these years after his son joined the military that he was just so fucking heartbroken by it. And he was such, I don't know, in Heinlein's view, a fucking puss. puss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Giant pussy. I mean, that's pretty much Heinlein's... What Heinlein is saying is in this. But book. it's not...
2: The character says that about himself.
3: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. In um, this, was a pussy. You know what? Like I said, he graduates Space Marine College. His dad serves under him, and they're they're gonna go attack more bugs. And the book is over. And um, I literally would rather just go yank all my teeth out than have to read this fucking book again. <laughs> so that's my breakdown. That's my uh, take. A break, uh, uh, take
1: breakdown. Woo! Alright, so um, that's your reaction. Let's talk about some of the reactions from the sci-fi community at the time, because even though it won the Hugo, not everyone was pleased. As a matter of fact, uh, the founding editor of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Tony Boucher, Shout out to Tony Boucher. Shout out to Tony Boucher, felt that it was an attempt for Heinlein to rationalize and condone a fascist state. Um, He and then Alan Brown of Tor.com recently uh, did an article looking back on Star Trek Troopers, and he said, Heinlein went out of his way to portray a military where people of all colors, nationalities, and creeds served without prejudice, a world where all were treated equally, and the only race that matters is the human race. This stood in stark contrast to the Navy of Highline's day, where sailors were segregated, uh, given different duties based on race. And that is basically the only positive thing you can say well, about Heinlein. You know, and women as well. Yeah, yeah women just... were a part of it. And so I, I pointed that out. I wanted to point that out because there, it, I, I don't want to paint this as that everything about what Heinlein was trying to make a point about was bad. There was some few glimmers of positivity here and there. in there. Um, in there. It, it, it's
2: so naively optimistic. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest problem with it. It's like, yo, know, only uh, military people will only do the everything that's right. Well, yeah, basically,
3: it, it has this very. We can
2: only trust military. Because everyone else is just out for themselves, but military people
3: well, well, are I, 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 here to save us this, all. This part of the book really encapsulates just what fucking, like, pro military, pro masculinity, pro, you know, just this weird yeah. idea about just being a goddamn man. This, this, this section of the book just encapsulates the whole book, and it's happening when they're in their moral history and philosophy class. Major Reed paused to touch the face of an old-fashioned watch, reading its hands. The period is almost over, and we have yet to determine the moral reason for our success in governing ourselves. Now, continued success is never a matter of chance. Bear in mind that this is science, not wishful thinking. I don't
1: know about
3: that. (laughs) The universe is what it is, not what we want it to be. To vote is to wield authority. It is the supreme authority from which all other authority derives, such as mine to make your lives miserable once a day. Force, if you will. The franchise is force, naked and raw. The power of the rods and the axe. Whether it is exerted by ten men or by ten billion, political authority is force, Oh, my God, I can't handle Heinlein's book. and just like, whoa, everything is just so fucking America.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, and look, he, he he does a lot of things where he talks about one of the main points that Heinlein was trying to make with this book, right or wrong, was that um, he believes he had this belief that you should serve to get the right to vote. Yeah. And that is one of the main messages of the book. And then you have like in okay, so I read the ACE edition, the ACE paperback from eighty seven was the version I got. And um, all that stuff that we had, the quotes from him talking to the Naval Academy, he basically from page one forty-five to one forty-six, he has in the in the class, of the major is basically explaining um, you know, he talks about revolution, armed uprising, he's talking about he writes the Korean War, and he basically says the whole thing about pacifism. Yeah. Like, outright. He just comes right out and says it. So, And here's the thing. I do not agree with any of the politics of Starship Troopers. In fact, um, I'm dead set against the politics <laughs> of it. That doesn't keep me from enjoying it as a science fiction novel. For myself, I'm definitely not on the same page as Anthony on that. Um... I disagree with it wholeheartedly, but I like certain things about this novel.
2: Yeah,
1: I just um, don't appreciate the point of view. I mean, bouncing—I uh, like bouncing through
2: a city, just blowing shit up.
1: Yeah, th- those are fun parts of it. And um, yeah, so let's talk about some moments. Let's go back a little bit. We've already we've summed up like some of the the problems with it. Let's talk about some of the things that I think are neat about this novel. Um, and I, yeah, I just said neat. Um, <laughs> some things that are cool. As long as you don't say cute, everything's fine. <laughs> There's, um, uh, so on page 18 of, of my edition, um, it's from their, their first battle. Um, and he basically says, uh, sorry, I can't see my highlighted uh, in this light. I can't see the, my is so dull." So I'm finding a hard time writing the quote. Um, so basically he gets the, the beacon call and he's, he says something about it being the sweetest sound um, is the beacon. But in this whole scene you've got like the, the giant mech suits and you're jumping around and the action and all this is really good yeah. but it's for me it's less about like the big action parts, but it's those moments like the, the sound of the beacon and like the feelings that they get. The things that I like about this novel are that um, I do think Heinlein is capturing the feeling of war novels from that time, from the World War II novels. If I don't know how many of those Anthony's read, Trans- I've read, about tran- transposing it into the science fiction world, is right? So even though this is not a real war, this is a totally fictional war. I think these parts of the novel are my favorite parts because they feel lived in. They feel like something that, when I'm reading this, I, I, I get a feeling of, like, that I'm reading something that happened. Well, yeah, it even starts that way when he, he's
2: talking about the shakes. You know, that's, like, a great moment of just yeah the okay. feeling of being a soldier. and, and
1: Yeah, which is um, a great opening line. I always get the shakes before a drop. I've had the injections, of course, and the hypnotic preparation. It stands to reason that I can't really be afraid. I love that. Yeah, opening one. That's great. It sort it, it sort of is the same thing that Spielberg did
2: with the uh, with the the storm of
1: Normandy Private Ryan.
2: And Saving Private Ryan, you know, you see all the soldiers looking really tense and, and and throwing up and the fear in their eyes and everything.
3: Sure, and that's great. And I would have loved more that of novel, lot, yeah, more of that <laughs> novel, and more of seeing some people kind of question what they're doing before fully giving in to this fucking bullshit fascist like mindset.
2: Yeah. But no one no one nowadays likes to be lectured at about anything.
3: I I, I literally I literally felt like this movie was just like, hey or not movie, excuse me. Let's get Yeah, weird. we'll we'll get there. Literally felt like this book was just like, hey man, <clears throat> what'd you do for your country today? And I looked at the book and said, Mind your own goddamn business
2: <laughs> I can see you literally do that. <laughs> My own goddamn business book.
1: Well, and so, like on page twenty three, says, you know, he has this part where the dad's talking to him, and he says, you know, we've outgrown wars. This planet is now peaceful and happy, and we enjoy good enough relations with other planets. So, what is the so-called federal service Para- uh, parasitism, pure and simple, uh, functionless organ? And so, you get, you get, you know, dad presenting the 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 pinko-liberal point right. of view. And, um, but what's really interesting in the sense of, like, you know, when when, um, when you get to, like, all the things about the violence of boot camp, and which, you know, is throughout the book. Now, I know a lot of this seems really cliche to us now because we all live in a post-Full Metal Jacket world where we have, okay. you know, probably the most Insane half an hour of showing the dehumanization that you know, boot camp yes. is designed to be right to turn people and turn these men, boys, into, young boys
2: into killers,
1: into killing machines, and to strip them down of all this stuff. But this was years, this was decades before Full Metal Jacket. So, whereas Anthony found this boring. Um, I didn't. didn't.
3: Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I I don't think it. I mean, it is. Oh, dude, it is. It's boring, but it's also just being lectured at. It's fucking yeah. pedantic lecturing at the reader. It's it's just one big hard on to the military.
2: It's insulting and, and at the I, same time. Yeah,
3: exactly. And I can I can be down for a novel that's lived in, and I can respect that aspect of it, but. That, that shit doesn't jive with me regardless of whether or not it doesn't fall into line with my own personal ethics. It's just it's a fucking slog to get through. I've read stuff that doesn't fall in line with my own personal beliefs. That's still okay and still readable, but this is just page after page of, of you're in boot camp getting beat up because that's what we do as pros, and then we jump back into, <laughs> hey, welcome back to the have moral, moral philosophy class. I'm going to tell you all the reasons why... Um, you need to just fucking be the alpha, and why being an alpha is the most important thing in this game, which I guess is true in the military, but I don't, I don't know you guys, this (laughs) shit sucked. That's where I'm
1: at. This (laughs) shit sucked. I completely disagree with, obviously I don't like the politics that are involved here. Sure. But, for me, um, I think this is a window into the way Highline thought at the time, and I find that interesting. I find um, I think that it's a window It's more like a door, though. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, he's it's just more of a door into what he was thinking.
2: Right. He's basically but, just writing a bunch of a series of essays on what he thinks about things.
1: Right, and it's a little on the nose, and it's a little, a little, it's a
3: little, <laughs> it's a sledgehammer on the nose. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is like the reverse purge movie. <laughs> Where I'm just getting pummeled over and over again with this fucking message. Right, but you still I mean, go to yeah. see the Purge movies. Well, look, I saw them all. <laughs> Because I hope that one day they just admit what they are and just go full crazy with an idea and be fun and let the message be the backdrop and not just fucking right. punch me with it constantly. <laughs> Watch The Running Man and just do that for The Purge. <laughs> Fuck! Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is... is well, I mean, add a character named Dynamo because that's my favorite part of The Running Man. <laughs> well... See, the thing is, is if somebody
2: who... My looked, favorite part of The Running Man is that the dance is named after it.
1: <laughs> so, anybody who didn't have the views that Heinlein had was probably not going to write this kind of novel, and that's good and bad. I mean, in the sense of, like, I think it's interesting to see a science fiction novel through the lens of the way he was thinking, because most science fiction... Is on the left side
3: of the political aisle. You're saying the same thing you said on the fucking puppet masters episode, right? Right. You just just excuse making excuses left and right. <laughs> well, that's, you can say that. I'm not. I'm not. I don't agree with Heinlein. I don't.
1: I don't like his views. But but the but the the fact of the matter is is that this book couldn't be written by somebody with a left leaning and if you want a military sci-fi novel that has left leaning politics there was a fantastic rebuttal to this book about 15 year 14 years later in John Handelman or Joe Handelman's The Forever War and The Forever War is a far superior novel <laughs> to Starship Troopers and it was written by somebody who had just came back from the Vietnam War. I mean, Dean Kutz's Phantoms is a far superior novel. <laughs> but I'm just talking about military sci-fi at this moment. Uh, okay. Okay. But Joe Handelman served in Vietnam. He was an infantryman. He came back and he wrote The Forever War, and it is a great fucking book. And um, he said at the time that after coming back from real war, he wanted to respond to. He wanted to write something that was the antithesis of Starship Troopers. Even though he liked Starship Troopers as a novel, he just went to war and had the exact opposite experience. Right. So, I highly recommend to everyone who's listening to this that if you have not read The Forever War, read The Forever War. Ridley Scott, owned the film rights, came close to making a 3D version of The Forever War. It didn't end up happening. It's too bad. This is a great book. Hmm. Um, and then another one, a 21st century kind of Uh, Response to Starship Troopers is, of course, Scalzi's Old Man's War, which is a fucking great trilogy of of military sci-fi. So, if you don't want the indoctrination into um, the anti-pacifism, you can read those. Uh,
3: Look, look, I'm not saying that if you're pro-military, I don't like you but what I am saying is that in this book, it's so pro-military, it never, Johnny Rico never fucking questions what he's being told. It, it seems very unrealistic. Well, you're not supposed to. Well, but... it! <laughs> oh, tar- my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the whole point. Well, I know that that's the part of the whole point. The exorcist just came But, out. <laughs> but it, it, it just... It's too much. Yeah. It, this book... Is the shirt at that Walmart? That's what that's what I'm talking about. That idealism, idealism, that
2: super optimistic idealism he's talking about. Right. It, throughout this, is that everything works on these pure levels that don't exist. Right. There is no, you know, there is no purely just doing your job and never thinking about the
3: consequences. This shirt, or sorry, this book is the shirt sure. I saw at Walmart of the Statue of Liberty riding a fucking motorcycle over the American flag with a fucking eagle etched onto it, okay?
2: That's what this book
3: is. It's a a fucking pro-military Walmart t-shirt. It's an AK-47 decal sitting on the back of a truck.
2: Yeah. All right, can we get into some uh, cool moments of sci-fi just to uh, balance this out a little bit? We'll talk more about the war.
1: Fucking space marines, man. Um, I love on page 81 of my edition, of Day's edition, um, when he talks about the suits, um, mm-hmm. and I like, uh, the muscles, the pseudo-musculature get all the publicity, but it's the control of all that power which merits it. The real genius is the design, it, uh, of, in the design is that you don't have to control the suit, you just wear it, like clothes, like skin. Any sort of ship you have to learn to pilot, it takes time. A new set... Um, a new full set of reflexes, a different and artificial way of thinking. Even riding a bicycle demands acquired skill. Very different from walking. Whereas a spaceship, oh brother, <laughs> I won't live that long. Spaceships are for acrobats who are also mathematicians. I love that. <laughs> uh, but a suit you just wear. So that is like some like really cool Right? No one can deny that Heinlein is a good rider. You can disagree yeah. with I mean, obviously, he's a yeah. good writer. Now, he made a, This book is a Good lot, thing and understood. There. Yeah, this is... An, I do, do not consider this one of his better books, in the sense of... I mean, it's good in a lot of ways, and it won the Hugo, but he, I think that he had a lot of better books, that are yeah. better written, because this one is so preachy that that is a huge problem with it. Um, but, you, you've you got like really cool moments like that. <laughs> However... There are also moments where, like, Johnny Rico, um, uh, on page 123 of my edition, which is, like, the exact opposite of good good writing, where he says, um, but I can tell you what sort of planet it is. Like Earth, but retarded. <laughs> Literally retarded. Like a kid who takes ten years to learn to wave bye-bye and never manages to master patty cake. Yep. Whoa. Whoa, (laughs) doggy!
0: What was that?
1: But I know he was speaking and was writing as a grunt there, so I will let him get away with it. Yeah, it's a character thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, sort of okay in that context. But it is just really interesting, because when I read that, I was just like, whoa, I don't remember that from the first time I read it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there is some interesting stuff about... um, about what to call the war. <laughs> uh, That's just funny. Yeah, yeah. The whole... Um, hold on, it's on page 104 of uh, the Ace edition. Um, I don't see any mention of how the Terran Federation moved from peace to a state of emergency and then on to war. I didn't notice, I didn't notice it too closely myself. When I enrolled, it was peace. The normal condition, at least people thought so. And then he goes on to say, the historians can't seem to settle on whether to call this one the third space war or the fourth, or whether it's the first interstellar war that fits better. We just call it the The bug bug war. war. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great moment in the book. Right. Um, And, uh, but when he kept talking about the third or fourth war, there's a, there's a, uh, thrash crossover band from New York from the late 80s called Carnivore. it's the dude from typo negatives first band. and they have a song called world wars three and, or World War four and five is the name of the song nice and I, I just kept thinking of that song when I that part it's like the last part of the song is after World War three if you're still alive we'll get you in world wars four and five <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking of that line for some reason but Anyways, I think that's—I mean—that's all the parts that I have. So get to the movie. Yeah, let's get to the movie. So, uh, yeah, the pre-production, the production, and pre-production of Starship Troopers the movie. Which, so originally, this the studio TriStar Columbia had a script for a movie that was called Bug Hunt at Outpost Nine. And they actually tried awesome. to sell this to the studio, and, then the, and somebody at the studio was like, have you read Starship Troopers? <laughs> uh, because this sounds a lot like Starship Troopers. And um, so then Paul Verhoeven and his screenwriter Ed Newmeyer, who had written RoboCop with... And that's pretty much it? Yeah, that's, <laughs> he's pretty much... All he's written is Starship Troopers movies, RoboCop, yeah, and, and, yeah, so they hired um, Ed Newmyer and Paul Verhoeven to adapt to take uh, um, Bug Hunt at Outpost 9 and turn it into Starship Troopers, kind of meld them, and adapt the book. Mm. And Paul Verhoeven tells um, kind of a funny story that uh, let's see if I can find the quote. Um, he said, I stopped after two chapters because it was so boring. So, hey, hey, hey me and Paul Verhoeven have the same opinion, and I'm going to side with the fucking director of Robocop. Yeah, okay. he, he said, it is really quite a bad book. I asked Ed Newmeyer to tell me the story because I couldn't read the thing. It was very right-wing book. So, um, he still took the job to make the movie... But no, I did see another interview. I don't have this quote. You know he
2: had to have that satirical seed in his head though. And he was like wait a second. I
1: can make this movie but I'll fuck that book up. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so he, they basically instead of adapting Starship Troopers they basically made a satire of the book in a lot of ways. Um, it, and It's more faithful than I when I rewatched the movie Last night it was a little bit more faithful than I had expected from my memory of it. Wow. there's there's events that come straight out of the book. Really, like like what? Well, just things like like there's a war. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Buenos Aires getting blown up, and and just it's just there, there's like a few. Yeah, but they don't live there, and both his parents don't die there, and yeah, I mean. Well, what I think they did smartly was they definitely Hollywoodized the story much more. They created arcs for the characters. They deepened the other characters. They combined a bunch of the characters. Yeah. But if you think about it, Michael Ironside's still giving all the speeches from the class. He's doing all the things. And Michael Ironside had read Starship Troopers when he was a kid and asked Verhoeven, like, why the hell do you want to do this? Basically, like, the first time they met about it. Really? And Verhoeven pitched to Ironside that I mean, he's basically going to satirize it, you know? Yeah. Um, and because I guess they were buds after doing Total Recall together, and um, you know. Interesting. Do
2: we know what Michael Ironside thought of the book? Um, the
1: quote, I think I have a quote here. Uh, awesome. He, uh, I don't have the quote, but I did read a quote where he was he was quoted as saying. I think it's in the IMDb trivia if you want to find the exact quote. Mm. But um, but he did basically say that that he had read it as when he was a kid and that he went to Verhoeven and didn't think it matched Verhoeven's sensibilities. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Right. Yeah. But um, he said it in a way cooler way, because he's Michael Ironside, and I'm not... Michael
2: fucking Ironside. Michael
1: fucking Ironside, and, um... But remember, you know, okay, so they had, um... Let's see, they had a budget of $105 million to make this movie. And at times, the special effects, like, especially the bugs, look awesome. Uh, Some of the space special effects... And some of the like flying, like the sh- like especially the shuttle that, that the escape hatch Yeah, looks terrible. terrible. Um, but the film was nominated for an Academy Award for best visual effects. So nice. Academy Award nominated Starship Troopers <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1998. So the movie came out in 1997. And I have friends that were in this movie. So. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. There was a lot of extras in yeah. this movie. Um, uh, probably my favorite, uh, there's a lot of weird little cameos in the movie from different actors. First of all, Jake Busey playing... That's not a cameo.
3: Well, yeah, he's a supporting character at them. A right. supporting
1: character, but... I don't know if there's cameos. There's... Rue McClanahan. Good one. One of the Golden, <laughs> of the golden Girls. Who plays the, uh, oh, right. the biologist <laughs> who leads the dissection? That's that's a good cameo. There, that is a great cameo. Um, and it probably wasn't a cameo just because he wasn't a big actor, but he became a big actor <laughs> later, which is, um, I think his name Dean Norris, the guy who was the brother-in-law in Breaking Bad. Yes, that is
0: Dean Norris.
3: Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah he plays the commander right. who, who accepts uh, Rico's um, resignation four Aires gets blasted. Yep. And, um, yeah, and, and there's all kinds of really weird and funny things in this movie. Clancy fucking Brown is it. Hell, in
3: that. yeah. That's <laughs> my dude. Pet Cemetery 2's Clancy Brown.
1: he
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, always be the Kurgan for me, so.
1: Rehoban, uh, stated in 1997 that the first scene of the film, the advertisement for the Mobile Infantry, was a shot-for-shot ad- adaptation of triumph of the wills the propaganda the Nazi propaganda film yeah that was brilliant yeah that was um, I mean that's film school brilliant
2: but it's brilliant nonetheless
1: well and you got to think that on the level he's satirizing Heinlein, um as on the nose yep <laughs> as Highline was right yeah, <laughs> that's, the first that's true <laughs> and you have some some really funny moments like first of all everybody in in the movie, is supposed to be in high school and they're like 32 years old, um, which is not yeah, uncommon right. at the time. Uh, Verhoeven did say that he did originally want to cast younger actors that looked younger, and he was basically only given the option to do that with the kids who replaced them at one of the bug battles towards the end. You know, there's all the, the, the much younger kids. And, yeah. Enrico's and walking past and he's like, look at these young kids. Um... With Casper Dean, uh, the, act, the lead actor. Casper Van Dean. Casper Van Dean, who, like everyone else in this movie, is super subtle yeah. <laughs> about everything. <laughs> um, you also have uh, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Doogie Hauser, playing um, uh, the... Uh, I believe
2: everyone knows him as Barney Stinson now. Yes. But, um, Although me, I have, I have per, in, in person called him Doogie Hauser. And know for a fact he does not like that.
1: Um, well, on the set, apparently, when he was wearing his very Nazi looking uniform as the um, military intelligence guy, right? Everyone on the set called him Doogie Himmler. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I read that That's in the tribute. Awesome. <laughs> Doogie Himmler. Yes. Um,. And, you know who actually, I think, had the best performance of the movie? Like, honestly, a really good performance is Diana Meyer, who plays Dina. Dizzy. Dina Meyer. Dina Meyer, who plays Dizzy. Um, yeah, she did. She was the best performance in the movie, I thought. She is definitely the best performance in the movie. And we'll get back into Dizzy here in a little bit, because we definitely have hot takes on on uh, Dizzy versus Carmen. So, um... Okay, so Dizzy, Dizzy is a dude in the uh, in, in the, the book. book. Yeah,
2: Dizzy, Dizzy is definitely a dude in the book. Um, which you know kind of goes with. that I, other- I don't believe they make sweet love in the uh, in the book. <laughs> no, they definitely do not make. I don't, it don't think book. that was the well. No. Highline does have some weird sex stuff, but I don't think it goes that direction.
1: Yeah, next episode when we do Stranger in a Strange Land, yeah. we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, that book is so long. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so we got, um, now another thing, I forgot to mention this too, that Heinlein does consider this a part of a thematic trilogy. Um, Starship Troopers with Stranger a Strange Land and um, Moon is a Harsh Mistress as his Really? Libertarian um, themed books. Huh. And but the that, li- those are his
3: backpedaling books? What are you
2: talking about? Like, all of his books from this point on
1: are Our libertarian. libertarian but you consider these three the, 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 the,
2: the most. most libertarian yeah.
1: so okay I don't know maybe you can cut that out and put that back into the book section <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention that and anyways um, so some cool things going on with the film like uh, definitely all the fake ads are hilarious yeah like the ads with the do you want to know more and like the, the it was kind of like during the proto internet Like, I was surprised to see those menus that looked like websites, because I wasn't sure. We had websites at that point, so we were starting to, yeah, I mean... But they did did not look anything like they did in the movie. Right. And they do look more in the movie like modern, like... Yeah, like modern day. Like DVD menus and stuff like that, which definitely did not exist at the time. Um, And so... Yeah, we got a lot of cool things going on there with that. Are there any other actors, like side characters or things that I'm missing there, uh, Larry, with your IMDb? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think there's anything really worth mentioning in the cast and crew. Um, so yeah, the design was definitely not subtle to make it look like um, uh, like Nazis, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, so, obviously, in the movie, they didn't have the money to do the giant mech suits in 1997. Um, we have seen those in movies since then. The, I think of uh, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, looks yep. like the, the mech suits. I think of in Starship Troopers. So, that was definitely a limitation of the budget that they had then. So, you know, but he also, he sort of worked that into it thematically
2: as well. Instead of having them be these badass soldiers, they were just fodder. And that sort of worked to go against what the, the book says as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are definitely just, like, the, the amount of limbs that get cut off in this movie. Right, right. And, and the fact that their guns do jack shit. Yeah, and by the way, they sh- uh, um, according to IMDb, this is the movie that had the most amount of ammo fired in it. Really? In- of, it. of any movie at the time. So... I mean, there's a fuckload, and, and the, the pulse rifles, by the way, do look exactly like the guns in, um, or like some of the guns in Aliens, and yeah. I right. appreciate that, um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, so let's talk about, so... Differences? Well... Are we there yet? Well, let's talk, yeah, because then we can get into Dizzy and Carmen and the differences. Yeah. So, yeah, this movie is very different from the book. Um, it, the entire tone just basically makes fun of and kind of laughs at the
3: book, but... Right.
2: Now, I'm sure we all, did we all see this movie before reading the book?
3: Yeah. I mean, I saw this movie, I saw this movie in theaters long before I read the book.
2: Right. Um... I did, I did too. I did not... I mean, a couple years, like a year or two before I read the book the first time, so...
1: When the movie got, when I first read about this movie being in production, because um, I was already a fan of Robocop and Verhoeven and Total Recall, mm-hmm. I when I saw that this was in production, I think I read about it in like Cinescape or one of those magazines that, nice. that you found out about movies before the internet.
2: Shout out to Cinescape.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I went and I my first time reading Starship Troopers was like the month before the movie came out. I went, ah. I went and read it um, really at the time, and I did see Starship Troopers on opening night, and I wasn't, because I had read the book, and I, wasn't, <laughs> I was uncomfortable with the book in 1997, because I was right. politically aware enough to be kind of uncomfortable with it, and like, I wasn't entirely sure what to make of the movie, but in the end, I, I was so ready to be kind of offended. I was expecting to get Independence Day, too, basically, because yeah. Independence Day, I don't know, if Anthony is even old enough to remember this, but when Independence Day came out in the theater, like, people were fucking chanting USA in the theater.
3: really? Oh, I mean, really? I don't remember that. I remember <laughs> seeing Independence Day in when it was released in the summer of whenever that was, and I only remember it because we were so late that me and my, my friends had to sit not only on the floor at the front of the movie theater, but, like, laying down so we could look up at the screen. <laughs> so that's, that's what I remember about ID. I Here's
2: what I remember Dad,
3: about that. Welcome to
2: Earth. Here's what I remember about that movie. I got everyone to clap when the White House
1: blew up. <laughs> well, so, yeah, this was very soon after ID4, and... Where were you living when that... I was in Syracuse. Oh, I saw this movie in Syracuse at the Carousel Center. Shout yeah. out to the Carousel Center, which, by the way, the free was, theater. The free theater. Yeah, they. Uh, um, this movie theater had a really terrible system for taking tickets, and you could just walk right in. And so, basically, from nineteen ninety six to nineteen ninety nine in Syracuse, we just walked in to movies for free there. Nice. And so I. Uh, I'm sure they fixed that. I'm sure they fixed that. I, it, they let it go for a long time. <laughs> I don't know. If we have any listeners out there in uh, Syracuse, uh, let me know if you can still walk in free to the Carousel Center Mall. I know it's not called Carousel Center anymore, but whatever. Anyways, um, but yeah, I saw Starship Troopers when I was in Syracuse. And when I saw Independence Day, people were chanting USA, USA. And so when I walked into the theater to see this movie, I was expecting that. So realistic bullshit. So when it was like so hilariously over the top of satire, I I loved it immediately. And right. I, I I but I immediately thought it was a comedy and thought it was really funny. And I remember. Yeah. Yeah, my girlfriend at the time, Nicole, was just like, I know think she just didn't like because there was like fucking guts and bodies and you know like the scene where they're like pulling the head with a giant hole in it and going. Right. They definitely got inside his brain. <laughs> and then he just, like, keep shaking the body. I like things like that. I don't think she she dug it. So I have a very distinct memory of me liking it and her hating it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, the, when I saw it, it was just, I, I loved this movie. Where were you living when
2: you saw Starship Troopers? San Diego. San Diego. Okay. Yeah, I was in San Diego. I saw it down at the um,
1: Mission Valley Theater. Cool.
2: With a bunch of people.
1: All right. I don't think Anthony was alive enough to have seen <laughs> Starship Troopers. I, you were alive. Did yeah, you I, see I saw
2: it,
3: Starship it? Troopers in theaters. You did? When yeah. You in? How old
1: were you? Didn't
2: he, didn't he just say he saw yeah. it when sitting
3: so when in you're front you're of the theater? Of you, 97. Yeah, so that would have been like seventh grade for me. Sixth or seventh grade. Perfect time to see yeah. Starship Troopers, the movie. Um, yes. Yeah, so do you remember what theater you saw it? In? Grossmont Center. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in in uh the old was, uh, the old
2: Grossmont Center.
3: Theater? Yeah, the old one, which is now it's a Panda not there Express. Anymore? It's just on the other side. Yeah. They moved it. Now it's a Panda Express.
1: Okay, I used to love that theater. Shout out to Panda Express. <laughs> um, not really. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, differences, there's all kinds of them. I mean, it's just, it's like, a, basically a satire of it. But yeah. there were more scenes in the, in the movie this time than I expected to be from the book. Just like the, book. uh, like the speech from the teacher. Yeah. Even though it's a different character they that's combine, doing it. They, they combine, two
2: sort together. of combine, yeah. The, uh, there's the, uh, the, the recruiter is kind of the same.
1: Yeah, the, one, the same character. The dad, like his dad's reaction to him signing up, is kind of similar. Um, and so there, there are moments you can recognize Starship yeah. Troopers, the book, in there, but it's just like, but all the the
2: psychic shit and the the brain bug and all that. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's that's all not. Yeah, <laughs> but what I will say that did same. that come from like the the old uh, whatever that other script was, or was uh, that just? That... The bug hunt, yeah, at Outpost Nine or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know. Or was that just that whole scene
2: uh, when they go to the the place where they everyone's dead to that
1: outpost? Oh, that could have been, yeah, because that's not in the. That's straight. That's not out of the movie at all. Yeah, where the generals hiding in the closet? Yeah, like I had to hide in the closet because <laughs> I had important information. <laughs> We're all going to die! And Ironside punches him. <laughs> Kuwatu. Kuwatu. And, uh, so... I mean, there's a, there's a shout-out right there. Yeah, which they filmed in, um, they filmed all the scenes for that planet in, uh, the Badlands of Wyoming. Interesting. Hmm. Um, but, uh, sorry, that was me. Oh. Well, um, I thought someone was knocking at the door. <laughs> sorry, I just tapped my pen on the book. Um, so let me think if there's anything like yeah, there are some really funny things in this movie. I like that they play arena league football. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in this, Dizzy is the quarterback, which is kind of interesting. I like when when Rico is not paying attention and she slaps him. Yep. Get your head in the game. So that this is a good time to talk about the differences. So Dizzy yeah. it, is a is a dude in the book. Um, like dies right away. Right. And so one of the ways that this movie is very different from the book is that they made a bunch of smart decisions in creating character arts and Hollywoodizing, including like adding more of a love story. I mean there was the, there the, the love book. triangle, the love quadrangle or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the in the
2: movie is, is
1: you know, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that people will I mean it's like not subtle at all, nothing subtle in there. No. But in the in the movie just like in the book Carmen joins and wants to be a pilot and that's why Rico wants to join but they deepen that relationship and the, well they're not they're not dating in the in the in the book, book. yeah and they're dating in the movie played by uh, Carmen is played by Denise Richards who would not yeah. be a bond lady um, oh, God the worst bond character ever right but she's can <laughs> she's supposed to be. So hot and so beautiful that Rico, like, is willing to join the military just to be around her. And then the whole thing is that the whole time he's in love with her, Dizzy's in love with him, but he doesn't pay any attention to Dizzy. Right. We we all are going to agree, right? Dizzy is way, way way, better. Way better.
2: Way better as a character and, and more attractive as a woman and everything.
3: Yeah. Really more of a fan of Ace. Oh, Jake Busey's <laughs> character. Well, he does play violin.
1: He does play fiddle. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, um, and uh, yeah, and you get some really great scenes of like really good character scenes where, like, uh, I love the scene where they're they're in the mess hall and they um, are in the um, in the barracks and he gets the transmission from breaking up with Rico. Yeah. and everyone's watching and laughing and making jokes at first and then uh basically everyone's like ooh, ooh, oops. Yep. <laughs> I feel sorry for you Rico. Tough shit. Um that's a really great scene. And um by the way we should note because I think everyone would be interested in this there's a scene where everyone's talking in the shower together, just having the conversation where they're all like naked sudsy and whatever. Right. uh all Verho- Yeah. Uh Paul Verhoven um uh, uh, directed that scene naked, because... Uh, per the cast request. The cast basically said, that if we're going to do this, you should be naked, and they were kind of making a joke, but he did it, because...
2: Because he's Paul
1: fucking Varrovin, and he can do what he wants. <laughs> yeah, he's Paul um, He's not afraid of nudity. <laughs> yeah, he's European, and he said he didn't want the cast to do that, um, if he wasn't willing to do it himself. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, but yeah, we all agree Dizzy's better. Um, and so
1: I know from the beginning, from the first time I saw it, as soon as he like actually hey,
2: that's a, that that kind of goes with the book because remember he talks about the uh, he talks about their minister or whatever fighting with them and you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't understand how other ministers can just sit by and while everyone's in the battle and then still give them the prayers and everything. Right at the beginning of the book.
1: Right, which is another Heinlein like anti pacifist
2: kind of like blah
1: blah because yeah. right?
2: you yeah. Never have anyone do something that you wouldn't do
1: yourself kind of right. thing. But like certainly Heinlein's not giving respect to the fact that the guy might have like a religious belief or whatever. So Of course not. Yeah. Alright, so um, yeah, that is the movie. So I I would say the last um, I don't know, uh, anything else specifically about the the movie that you guys wanted to talk about?
3: Um, no, no, not no, really. Not really. I, mean, uh, I mean, it's a childhood favorite for me. Yeah. I like that. Clancy Brown is,
2: is a great character, plays a great character, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, Michael Ironside plays a great character. I, I, the Clancy Brown character giving up rank and stuff just so we can fight, you know, that's Way better than the dad, like you know, going to fight the, the because he doesn't want emascul-
3: to be a. Pussie. Yeah, the dad feeling emasculated because his son joined the military and he didn't. Right. What a stupid fucking book! I mean,
2: if you if you're drawing, you know, equations between or uh, equalities between the two, or what do you call it, David? The parallels. Uh, if yeah. you're drawing parallels, that yeah, you know, so is sort of the parallel there.
1: So here's going to be the fun, the funniest part to consider. That we do in all the story versus film episodes. Would Heinlein have liked this movie? Oh,
3: absolutely not. And he would have hated it yeah. for all the reasons I fucking love it. Yeah. Because it lampoons his stupid pro, up its own ass military ideology <laughs> and just drives it into the ground. I hate this book. And so did the guy who directed the movie, which is really interesting. That's right. Barbara my boy!
1: Yeah, so here's the thing. Could you imagine if Heinlein had still been alive? Oh, man. And if he was sitting in the theater watching this? I mean, one of the reasons they could do this movie at all is because Heinlein was already dead. Right. You know, because they don't have anyone to be like... I mean, a lot of people who were fans of the book, like, Bash the movie, of course, sure. yeah. But um, you know,
2: I and there's a lot to you know. It is a really cheesy. A lot of really sort of uh, uh, let us just say uh, not very good acting, not very good dialogue in the movie. But it, you know, it's still a lot. It's still a lot of fun. It's not the best movie ever made, but
1: yeah, yeah. and There's mean, a lot. I like, I like in, in other words, there's a lot to criticize even if you never read the book. I like both, um, but I, I like them for different reasons. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, yeah, it's weird. But anyways, <laughs> so... Um, and one of the things I didn't mention was just how offensive, I forgot to mention this, but how funny it is that the bugs and how communal the bugs, like, are with their queen and everything. Yeah. It's just such a heavy-handed... Analogy right. it. Right. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, how many? Uh, so let's start with the book first. Okay. Um, how many mech suits out of five are you giving this this book, Larry? I, you know, I. Think I have to give it uh, two
2: and a half Space Marines. Okay, cut one of those Marines in half, just like they did in the movie. Cut a bunch of Marines in half, in that. But the, uh, you know, I I'm not as vehement about the, uh, about the jingoistic aspect as you guys, but I just I don't like being preached at, in general, no matter what the view is, and it. The the flow of the book is ruined by just all that stuff about all those speeches. You know, just tell me the fucking story, and that's all I want. That's all I want. Uh, you know, I love the action parts. Not enough of that. Uh, could have been some better characters, but you know, it it just it it wasn't that great. Let's put it that way.
1: All right, I'm going to give it um, four mech suits out of five for the novel. Wow. Because I do think that it broke a lot of ground that didn't exist at the time. Um, I think that I liked the lived-in nature of the war parts. Um, I didn't agree with any of the message at all, but um, I do think in the context of what Highline was setting out to do, it's an interesting read in that sense. And um, I don't know that... But uh, Well, we didn't...
2: Okay, here's one thing. You know, we we talk about how much it it sucks, but the uh, the viewpoints, but there's stuff in there that I do agree with. Like, you should... Don't you think you should have some sense of ownership of, of where you live and, and your part in the society? I, yeah, I, I think know, that's, that's a, a very
3: podcast.
2: I think that's a very strong part of the of the book in his message. You know, even though it, he goes about it entirely the wrong way. But it, I, I there's things like that I agreed with. I just wanted to get that in there.
1: Okay. Um, Anthony, I know how many space marines out of five you're giving this. No. <laughs> I don't even know... If how, many space... pe- how many pedantic
3: fucking pro-military lectures out of five <laughs> am, I getting, am, I, am I giving this? I'm gonna give it one pedantic military lecture wow. out of five. I wasn't even sure you'd get a full pedantic. One, because it's a book and it was written. It's complete. It was, it's complete and it does a thing. Um, but it's so preachy. It's so... It's so pointlessly dense when it doesn't need to be for such a short book. Yeah. The characters are blank slates and not terribly interesting. And, I, you know, I don't really care about Johnny Rico's journey through boot camp because I never saw Johnny Rico grow into anything more than a brainwashed fucking drone. And that's where I'm, I'm dying on. I am dying on this hill for this, <laughs> with this my opinion, on this book. Because yeah. it, it, it. I've read books I don't like. But very few books have I ever felt like it was a waste of my goddamn time reading, and this is one of them. Wow. I love the movie, but obviously I would love the movie. Yeah, all right. right. On, so, I ju- so, and I think that. You don't movie. want to give it any points for, like. I gave it
2: one. Well, I, okay. That, that's for being a complete book. For being a complete and, book. And sort of and
3: being, firing, a, being the progenitor movie? of, of oh. space military fiction. And, and yeah, and, 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 and being adapted into one of my favorite childhood movies.
0: But the movie for the book for me would have started when they get ranked up
3: because everybody else is dead. And a better movie would have shown me Johnny Rico going through that mission and what he's learned, and if he found that. Kind of dying for his country right. was the most important thing for him, and being a, a man of where he came from was was that was the most important be all end all thing. Then at least I felt like I would feel like that journey was earned. But here it's just I'm watching this dickhead go through boot camp, and then I got to watch his dad cry about being embarrassed that his son did a thing he didn't do. <laughs> so fuck it, one out of five. Fuck this book, I hate it. Wow, all yeah, right, I took it there. I'm bringing it out. All the hot takes. So, I can't wait to read Stranger in a Strange Land. I'm sure that's just Heinlein's xenophobic opus. It's actually not. I know, I'm just being fucking facetious at this point. Okay, and so, how would you rate uh, the film? Uh, oh, Stars and Trigger's the film? Am I rating it as an adaptation or just as a movie? As a movie. Five out of five. I fucking love the movie. It's wow. fun. It's... It, I'm gonna give it five Michael Ironsides out of five, and I yeah, that is me having nostalgic childhood love for this movie. It's fun, it's gory, it has Michael Ironside. I'm here for this movie, all the time. Okay, even though you fucking despise the book. Oh, despise the book! But part of the reason I love the movie so much is how much the movie is basically pissing on the
2: book. Yeah, shits on the book. (laughs) You know what?
3: You you get out of the big movie every time somebody says.
1: Well, the book's always better than the movie. Yeah. You can now point to Starship Troopers. You have a prime example. You have a prime example you can pull out of your That's pocket. You can, you can use Starship Troopers. Um, I am going to give Starship Troopers the film, uh, four out of five, um, cows eaten by an arachnid, <laughs> <laughs> uh, censored, um, but, uh. Partially, I'm going to give it four out of five because still some of the special effects are pretty corny and some of it is just, um, yeah, I'm just, to be realistic, I mean, there's just some moments that are just not
2: super awesome. Right. But, but
1: I and I wasn't quite as young as you when I saw it the first time, so.
2: It doesn't, it doesn't quite have that same influence. Yeah, I mean, I still loved it. I had a
1: great time seeing it in the theater and at the free Theater in Syracuse. Hmm.
2: Well, I'm going to give it four out of five brain bugs, because uh, it's a fucking fantastic satire, and it's, it's intelligent and brilliant in many ways, but there's some lacking in acting and dialogue, and, uh, you know, some of the more... There's some cringy, cringy acting moments in this movie, but not from
1: Maru McClanahan or Michael Ironside. No, no, both of them are pitch perfect. Just yeah, Casper Van Dien, as, as is, is terrible. as is terrible. Dina
2: Dina Meyer. What? But the uh, Casper Van Dien, I said she was perfect.
1: Oh, okay, yeah.
2: Denise Richards though was oh, she was just terrible. fucking awful.
1: She was really bad. You know, Jake Busey was great.
2: Jake Busey was good. Neil Patrick Harris was good, even though he had some of the worst lines in the
1: movie. Yeah, but he, he delivered them with the tongue in cheek. Yeah, was great. Right. So, so that's it. Uh, all right. So, on that note, uh, we'll Stranger in a Stranger see Land. A stranger in a strange land. Thanks for mm-hmm.
3: joining, the Eyeliners. I'm gonna hang out with my harsh mistress, the moon.
1: What? The moon. <laughs>
3: And puppet mastered. Oh. With my mistress on the moon. If I have spacesuit, we'll travel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good night! Control yourself, General. I can't! I can't! We should just shoot (laughs) Uh, them.
1: Lieutenant! He's just a little out of his mind, sir you've got. Come on, you hate.
0: You want to live forever.